gentlemen, and welcome to the fifth edition of the Bombers Big Footy podcast for season 2021. I am your host once again, Bonser34, and I am joined this evening by a man who may be hosting in future weeks. I may take a break, but for tonight, it's him and me. Jade, how are you? Going all right, and uh, I've got to tell you, you're probably lucky to have me this week because after that win on the weekend, I have been touching myself and have emerged chafed and blistered at the moment, so going okay, but uh, maybe not so okay. And the other man this evening, we were meant to have the man, the mystery, the myth that is Doss, but he has been a he has pulled out late this uh, this evening. So we have turned to a favourite of the podcast, and that is Pross. How are you this evening, mate? I'm back, baby. Um, look, we can't win them all, and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get Doss on for tonight. But uh, you know what? I'll see what I can do to keep the mood up right after that big win. Well, I was about to say, you do say we can't win them all, but Jade, I'll jump straight to you. We bloody won. I mean, there was a lot of doom and gloom. Now, you weren't on last week's podcast, but there was a lot of, yeah, I don't think we can win. They're probably a better side than what we are. And holy we managed to win. I mean, did you see that? I mean, you're going to tell us you saw it coming because you like to pretend that you're um, all-knowing all and can see into the future. But, but seriously, that was unbelievable, especially when we went five goals down. Like most people, I think, I tried to sort of play the calm, realistic point of view in terms of we were going over to Perth. Whilst I know we've won over there before a number of times, the reality was we're a side that's sitting, you know, four and six pre-game, coming into a game against West Coast who hadn't been beaten in Perth. The reality was you're looking at it and going, look, all we can really hope for is that we keep playing the way that we've been playing, that we put in a good performance, that we're pressuring the side. But the reality is we're probably going to get done by four or five goals here. Uh, so to answer your question, no, I did not see that coming at all. The, the way that they not only came back from a deficit there, but just ran the Eagles into the ground. I've got to tell you, could not have been more impressed with the performance. Easily our best performance of the year. And that bodes really well for the rest of the year when a lot of us, myself included, were thinking our best football is probably likely to come in the second half of the year. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of us did predict that the second half of the year would be when the team would start to shine because the players would start to gel, the youngsters would have a bit of run in their legs and would come good. And we certainly seem to have jump-started that and started it a lot earlier than any of us predicted. Pross, I will come to you and ask for your thoughts, but just before you go to your thoughts, I'll just I'll just say to you, we I've said it to a lot, especially to you, over the past few weeks, that I think our weakness has been our key position backs. But they were immense on Saturday night. I mean... Kennedy kicked three, but he never felt like he really took hold of the game. Darling got absolutely <laughs> by Laverde. He, he kicked one, but other than kicking one, he did nothing. Now, tall backs on Saturday night were, for me, our strength. Um, and the intercept marking was just unbelievable. Do you think maybe now perhaps we were a little bit over-concerned about that? And, and you know, what, what, you, what were your general thoughts and takeaways from Saturday night? I think it would be an overstatement to say that um, we had no right to be concerned. But holy Jaden Laverde, where's he come from this year? I mean, in a year where, um, look, we've been pretty complimentary of him in his transition into the back line, I think that was his crowning performance. Like, Jack Darling has been one of the form forwards of the competition, and he was absolutely neutered by Jaden Laverde. And I guess on top of that, I mean, Josh Kennedy had spits and spats where he looked like he might sort of get away from us, but... On the whole, it was a fantastic defensive effort. And Jordan Ridley as well is another option where we um, 
he absolutely shut down Liam Ryan and basically keeping the new defense just rendered him absolutely sterile. Yeah, he did. And and it was an impressive effort from the defensive back six or, or back seven, depending on, on how you look at it now. But again, and, and Pross, we go on about him every week, but I'm going to do it again. Well, actually, we go on about both of them every week. Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt, again in the middle, got it started for us. They're fast becoming our best midfield duo that we've seen in a very long time. I mean, we did have Job and, and Heppel when they were both up and running in the middle. And even, I suppose, Goddard was there as well. But have we had a better two players in form in the middle in, say, the past 20 years? Look, I mean, it's hard to think of a combination. Potentially, um, the only one that really does come to mind is Joe Watson and Brent Stanton in that sort of first half of 2012. From memory, um, in that year, obviously, Joe went on to win the Brownlow, but I'm pretty sure Brent Stanton, halfway through the year, was second on the count. So... Failing that, um, by the way, I mean, it just come from nowhere. Um, I think I saw a stat uh, posted on the Essendon board that um, the Merritt and Parrish handball received a handball two um, combination, I think uh, first and fourth respectively, like if you sort of inverse them. So um, out of nowhere, they've just formed a really great um, partnership there. And obviously it's complemented by McGrath too. So it's fantastic to see him on, mate, continue. Now, Jade, I know how much you love to talk about the, those two boys in the midfield, so I will let you get to him. But I'll also just throw out to you, Dyson Heppel. Now, a lot of people said that it was his best game for the year, and it absolutely was. It was a real throwback to when he sort of started and dominated on that halfback flank. Personally, I think he's been pretty good throughout the year. But obviously, Saturday night was clearly his best game for the season. Is that going to be the peak for him, or do you think that now he's sort of working back because he's obviously coming back for long injuries that we may start to see that kind of game more often. I think the thing with Hep is he's one of those players that tends to come back from injury uh, or lay off relatively slowly. And, and, and String is probably another one, which probably doesn't bear fruit <laughs> this week so much, but they, they need to, to work themselves uh, into form and into, into games. And I think it's got to do with dealing with the pace of the game and just understanding what your role is in the team. I think uh, the thing with Heppel, he has been playing okay, um, but I, I do think some of the criticism that was levelled against him probably a little bit earlier in the year, it, it, it was fair. He wasn't playing particularly well. He didn't look like he was quick of, of mind, I suppose, is the way to put it. But, geez, he was sharp on the weekend. Like, he was getting himself into position. He was taking some some fairly big and important grabs. He, he was directing traffic very well. He was putting the ball where it needed to be. It, it, very hard to fault uh, his game. And I suppose his last month of football has been has been very, very good. But i got to tell you, the highlight for Hep, just before they sung the song, uh, and, look, I could be misquoting him a little bit, but... Uh, Boys, let's give this one some f***ing juice is a, is, a, uh, is a big tick for me. We've just made sure that Beery's got a good use of the uh, the bleep button there. But yes, no, he, he was definitely up and about after the game and it was great to see him with such passion. And it was great to see the whole, the whole playing group with such passion after the game. Again, some of the youngsters did stand up. Now, I actually thought Nick Cox was fairly quiet on the on Saturday night, Jade. Um, but even then, he still was, he still managed to kick a goal and get involved, especially that tackle and Nat Nui. The other one, of course, is is Archie Perkins. Now, I'll let you just uh, unleash here, Jade. How good can Archie Perkins and, and Nick Cox be? I mean, Saturday night, I think we saw the future. I think uh, as far as Cox is concerned, and everybody loves a big Cox, 
yeah, it was probably one of his quieter games of the year. It doesn't mean it was a poor game. I think he still ended up with, you know, nine or ten touches and a goal. But I think the fact that you've got this player, a first-year player, that you're expecting game-changing performances from, that when he's having a ten-disposal, one-goal game, or whatever it may be, that you're going, oh, yeah, he was a little bit quiet, says a lot about how he's going. The fact that we're in round 11 and this bloke hasn't been hasn't been nominated for the Rising Star is... it's. it's it's gone beyond astonishing to to now it's it's sort of a running joke that surely the people at the AFL have picked up on here and they're just trying to drag this out as long as they as long as they possibly can. I had a look today and he's I think he's second in um, in betting for the Rising Star. The instant he's nominated, he'll be a raging favourite and he should win this award fairly fairly easily. But that's how good he's going. Now as far as Archie Perkins is going, every time I see that bike, I'm feeling a little bit sexual. That sidestep he's got going, and the thing is, he's doing it every time he's got his hands on the ball and people still aren't picking up on it. This kid is going to be a superstar. The, the, the comparisons that I make in terms of players, and I hate to go this high, but I've got no choice but to do it. He looks like a young James Hurd. That, that is literally what he's looking like at the moment. He, he moves with time. He's, he's making players around him look a little bit foolish with, uh, with his movements on the ground. Um, he's looking like he's going to be a danger up forward. He's definitely going to be playing through the midfield. With these two players, I know we haven't seen a lot, a lot of Zach Reed uh, at the moment, and obviously second year, Harry Jones. We are absolutely stacked with elite level young talent at the moment. I'll throw to you, Pros. How do you see the youngsters? What did you think they were like on Saturday night? Yeah, they're all right. But in, <laughs> in all seriousness, no. um, as Jade said, it is a little bit of a joke now that's We've concluded round 11 and none of the trio of Cox, Perkins or Jones has been nominated yet. Um, Cox, I thought, was a bit quiet on the weekend. Um, I think it was a graphic came up on screen that he had four touches and a goal about halfway through the third quarter, which I'm like, huh, I haven't really noticed him. Or I guess contrary to that, I haven't really noticed the lack of him. But um, he really came on in the fourth as well. But Archie Perkins, I think, was the real story out of the weekend. Um, he was just fantastic. As Jade mentioned, just his ability to sidestep, to have the core strength to be able to withstand tackles. There were some real superstar qualities there. And I could see a little bit of James Hurd, but i tell you what, I see a little bit of Patrick Dangerfield as well. So it's going to be exciting times in about two, three years once these players start to come on and they combine with that sort of 14 to 16 draft core as well. I probably disagree with you both in that it's a bit of a joke they haven't been nominated for the Rising Star. I think they've been very good this year and they have absolutely shown a lot of glimpses, but I don't think either of them have really put together a four-quarter performance. I mean, Archie's performance on Saturday night was very good, but Trent Rivers was also very good for his nomination this week as well. So I don't think yet you can point to a player that's been nominated that doesn't deserve it. Um, but of course, putting my Essendon hat on, it's an absolute travesty that those three haven't been nominated yet. And the AFL is literally just doing it to keep Essendon down. I mean, that's just accepted law, isn't it? It certainly is on our board. Now, there is one man that I also want to talk about. And, and, and Jade, I'll, I'll just hold tight before I ask you. We'll go to Pross first because I know that, Jade, you're going to love talking about him. But Kyle Langford was immense on Saturday night. He ended up with 28 disposals. He managed to kick a goal. He had nine marks, four tackles. I think his metres gained was just over 400. He was... The Kyle Langford that we all know he can be and can be consistently. We're still looking for this to be a regular performance, not an outstanding performance that happens once every you know three to four weeks. But Pross, he was very good on Saturday night. 
Oh, he was fantastic. And then once again, he's reopened a debate about what his best position is. Um, I think probably only a few weeks ago, we were pretty much all concluded that a forward, well, a half forward was probably his role. But now he starts putting performances like that and it just makes you wonder where his best position might be. He's He's got the poise. He's got all the traits that you could want. It's just about trying to put it together and have that physicality and have the, um, I guess, the level of mental acceleration. Say like a you know, not to harp on about the comparison, but like a Scott Pendlebury has where that sort of extra half second is organic and he's able to get away with it every time. Um, he's starting to sort of iron that out now. We're starting to see what could be close to the, the full package of what Kyle Langford will end up being. Kyle Langford, the midfielder. If only somebody had called that a few years ago. What do you, what, I mean, what do you say? I mean, other than Jade, you were right. Uh, Kyle Langford, the midfielder, is the player that we drafted him to be. He's the player that we thought he could be. He's been played out of position for much of his career. We've been using his height to cover our deficiencies in the forward line. The reality is that this guy needs to be playing in the guts. Um, I'm more than happy for him to play on the wing because he's a smart disposer of the ball. Uh, he's now grown into a leader of the club. Uh, this guy is is comfortably in our best 10 players. Uh, and will be there for at least the next five or six years. Sorry, can I just jump in there? I reckon that's an excellent point that you raised there, Jade. His leadership qualities. He's probably one of the unsung leaders of this young core as well. I mean, everyone likes to point to McGrath, to Ridley, but Carl Langford, just some of the stories you hear around the traps of his level of leadership and development and standing up against what might be some senior players when they're not doing what is expected of them. I tell you what, in another lifetime, he could be a smoky chance to be a next captain. But um, as it is, I'm just blown away by the level of maturity and leadership he has been displaying. The other bloke that I think went all right on Saturday night, and and I mean, I think if you look at pure stats, Nat Nui certainly won more taps. But Andrew Phillips, again, he is a journeyman ruckman. Let's, let's be honest, he's not ever going to be a superstar ruckman. But GC has filled in fantastically for us since... Sam Draper went down. I mean, he has been a very good stopgap option this year. And Jade, I mean, is there room for him and Draper in the one side or is that pushing it a little bit too far? You're in a position at the moment where Draper is clearly an all-Australian quality ruckman in terms of his talent and what he can bring to the game. He He's an extremely talented player. We know uh, what he's likely to bring us if he can get a fair run uh, on the paddock from an injury perspective. But we're in a position at the moment that even though he's coming back from injury, Phillips is doing nothing to be dropped from the side. And I think it would be it would be very unfair and kind of a bit of a throwback to the Essendon of old where we're picking players based on their names versus their performance. I, I don't think you can drop him. I think the one major advantage we've got with both Phillips and Draper is that they're both very, very mobile as far as Ruckman are concerned. So it is entirely possible that we could potentially play both of them in the same side. I'd suggest Draper probably takes the majority of the Ruck duties with Phillips filling in. And you probably saw that on the weekend. You know, Nat Nui, and we all know that Nat Nui is, is absolute class as far as Tap Ruckman is concerned. You know, he did beat Phillips in the Ruck, but Phillips made himself useful around the ground. He made himself a dangerous target. He was able to keep Nat Nui accountable around the ground as well. So I think you can potentially play both of them in the same side. The one thing I would say is if you're going to play both of them, that means you can't really play Peter Wright. And again, Wright himself has really done nothing over the last couple of weeks to deserve being dropped from the side. So it's one of those selection conundrums that you like to have. 
in terms of yeah, it's it's a, it's a hard call to make, but geez, it's a good call. To, it's a good call. And it's a good position to be in. And let's not forget, we've still got Nick Bryan waiting in the wings, who who looks like he's going to be an absolute talent himself. So from a from a tall man perspective, and particularly our ruck division at the moment, geez, we're looking we're looking good. Yeah. So so pros, I mean. Do you think Phillips and Draper fit into the same side? I think we've discussed that you know Draper and Brian could be a way of the future in in the, in the Gorn and Jackson mold. Draper and Phillips don't really fill that mold. Yeah, I'm I'm not really high on the um, notion of Draper and Phillips being in the same side. I can see it for maybe one week if we were to bring Draper back without too much match practice. And can I just say, I don't know who made the decision on the weekend to have um, Sam Draper play a reserves match wearing a Carlton jumper. But shame on them, and I hope that their house burns down and that they're no longer a part of the Essendon Football Club because God forbid an image of that leaks, it might just break my heart. But um, very much on the other end of the spectrum, Draper and Nick Bryan in the same team, I believe that could work much better. But I think Nick Bryan's probably have to going to have to develop his forward craft a little bit more as well to really complement that relationship. I was completely unaware that Draper were a Carlton jumper on the weekend, and I feel incredibly sad for him right now. But I will just, before we move on, I will just quickly ask, and Jade, I'll swing to you, were there any negatives? Now, I know Zara has struggled, and I think he got an unfair baking on our board, but, you know, I won't get on my high horse here. If you, if you want to bake him, by all means, go right ahead. But outside of that, is there any other negatives that you took away from Saturday night's game? I mean, look, I, you have to touch on it a little bit, and I know you just have. Uh, I think we are we are probably looking at the last couple of senior games for Zaharakis. It's not that he hasn't been a fantastic player for us, and he's he's really fallen into that that category of player that because he's not a superstar is often deemed to be a spud. He's he's not. He never has been. He's been a very good player and a very good service uh, serviceman to a club where he very well could have left. But unfortunately, I do think we're getting to that point where he just seems a fraction too slow of mind uh, when it comes to making decisions uh, and his disposal. It, it's just not up to the game that we're playing. We, we're currently playing a game where we are pressuring sides out of possession and we're taking advantage of those those turnovers and we're moving the ball and scoring very heavily. He's not really working very well in that regard. He did, look, he did have a, a, a decent game. I think it was two weeks ago as well. But with the fact that we we are starting to get ourselves into a position where we do have selection pressure, I really do think he's probably going to be out of the side. The other thing I would mention is the, that, that we have again conceded a relatively high score or consecutive score, I'd say, where we're, we're allowing uh, lapses in games where our, our opposition is scoring against us a little bit too easily. That's something that I think will be corrected over time. Uh, and I think that we're actually showing that in our performances, you know, particularly over the last four or five weeks where we, we are getting better at that. But that was another negative from the game. But uh, other than that, it's very hard to, uh, to, to fault that performance. It really wasn't across the board game. We weren't relying on the brilliance of one player to get us over the line. So potentially I am nitpicking a little bit, but uh, that would be it for me. And Prost, we'll swing across to you. Yeah, I mean, on my end... On the Zaharakis debate, I mean, it's just a matter of, let's look at the players who are just on the fringe of the side at the moment. We've got Braden Ham, we've got Ned Cahill. The question you got to ask yourself is, are we getting any benefit from Zaharakis being in the side over those two? And alternatively, what's the benefit of those two being on the sidelines if the answer is, you know, it's pretty much much of a muchness. So 
I mean, I'm, I'm in the camp that we probably are in Zaharakis's last um, couple of games, and especially when Shield does come back, I think that might be a curtain call. But apart from that, I don't really want to dwell on too many negatives on what was overall a positive night. In the same way that sometimes you just got to throw a loss in the bin and just move on to the next week. I think this is one way you just take all the positives and just leave the negatives to the side and just enjoy what it was. A fantastic win. So we move across to Richmond and it is not dream time at the G, it's dream time at Optus. I think some people have been saying dream time at the O and that sounds absolutely absurd to me. So I refuse to give that nickname any more air time. A lot of people are saying Richmond are gettable this year. Now, look, they might be gettable, but geez, they're a good side still. I mean, they have a lot of quality running around, even without Lynch there up forward. I mean, they still managed to have Jack Rewald up there. He kicked five on the weekend, and then Coleman Jones came in and kicked four. Even Chol kicked two. They're still going to be a dangerous side. Jade, where do you think we need to win on the field? So where do you think is the, the spot we have to absolutely beat Richmond? to actually stand a chance on Saturday night. This is the, uh, the the classic Essendon fault, isn't it, that we uh, we do from time to time put in performances like we did over this past weekend and think that all of a sudden we are up with the best teams in the game. Let's not kid ourselves here. Richmond may be down a little bit on performance, but you are talking about a, a, a serious football side, a seriously credentialed football side, uh, and one that over the last few years has absolutely pantsed us at every opportunity. So uh, for us, where we're going to need to perform very well is what we've built our game around this year and obviously have been working on under truck, that pressure style of game, being able to worry our opposition out of the uh, out of the football, that's something Richmond's been doing for years. If we, if we fail to do that or if Richmond are better uh, at that than us this weekend, we will lose. They will beat us. Um, you know, if they are able to worry us out of possession, they will kick a winning score on us. Uh, they will walk over us like they've done for, for years now. So we are really going to need to be uh, on top there. Uh, and certainly I would hope that the club, the players and the fans are very much aware that if Essendon takes this game as a foregone conclusion or if we're definitely going to win this game or we think we've got this, Richmond will roll us over. So we're going to have to be very careful and certainly that contested ball uh, and that worrying of, our, uh, of the opposition, we're going to have to be right on top. Yeah, now, Pros, I've got a couple of questions for you. First one is, what sort of crowd do you think we'll get? I mean, we do have a relatively large following in the West. There has been talk it will be a sellout. I think that's a big ask. But do you think we're going to see that sort of crowd? And then my second question is... Who goes to Dusty? Now, it has been discussed a little bit on the board and, and, and ETH Dog suggested that Aaron Francis goes to him and, and I'm not necessarily against that idea. Um, I actually posted earlier today that I think Laverde is probably the the ideal matchup for him, but he has been the number one intercept marker for the past five weeks across the league and you can't do that with Dusty. You can't leave Dusty by himself to go in and intercept. Well, I don't think you can. So I've got two questions essentially. What sort of crowd do you think we'll get and who goes to Dusty? Well, on the crowd point, I actually, I'm pretty optimistic. I reckon we might get a sellout. Um, I'm looking at it as a similar sort of events to the Dreamtime in um, the Northern Territory last year in that it's a game where it doesn't matter what team you support, just how momentous of an occasion it is, it's going to draw a lot of neutrals out, especially in Perth with the beautiful stadium that they have. So many people are going to be inclined to want to come out and just be a part of that game. 
for the novelty of it. So crowd-wise, I'm hoping it's a sellout, and I'm optimistic that it'll achieve that. When it comes to who matches up with Martin, straight away I don't like the Francis idea, so we'll just put a sock in that one. Why is that? Well, with Francis, okay, let's have a look at the their key forwards that they've got at the moment. So when it comes to Rewalt, I actually like the Laverde matchup for Rewalt there. And then you've got Coleman Jones, which probably you're looking at uh, James Stewart. And then you got uh, Chol, which I think is probably the ideal matchup for Francis, possibly Ridley if you wanted to go down that path. But when it comes to Martin, I'm always tempted to, and I know this completely defeats the purpose of what we already talked about, but I'm in half a mind to try Carl Langford again as like a um, direct one with uh, player in the same way that we sort of had him play in midfield against uh, Crips and Fife a year or two ago. I think it's probably the ideal role for him in some respects, just to, for one week only sort of thing. But I'd back him in if he actually had a go at it. But uh, in short, I mean, it's Dustin Martin, so there's no perfect answer here. And either way, you're going to be gripping on for dear life. Yeah, look, it is tough. And I actually think if we're going to look at a midfield, in the midfield at the centre clearances, I think maybe Jay, we, we send Jake Stringer to him in the, in the centre clearances. But then, of course, when he runs forward, we don't want Jake running forward with him. Look, Jake Stringer is not a midfield matchup player. He's a midfield burst player. We're only, only going to use him there, you know, for three and four minute bursts. Uh, and don't get me wrong, he's very good at that. But I think as a as a matchup player, that's simply not going to happen. Uh, I think I'll just I'll just that, jump in there though, Jade. He did go to Pendlebury at, at more or less every single bounce on Anzac Day, so he he was starting most bounces against Pendlebury. I don't see there's any reason why he can't do it against Martin. But then Martin running forward is where I where I see that falling out. I think the I mean the, the major difference that you've got there is that well. To, Martin himself is very much a burst player, which Pendlebury is not. And I, I'm not seeing why you would have Stringer, who's, who, let's face it, is going to be running one way uh, in the midfield, why you would want to blunt that impact in order to have him uh, running with uh, with Dustin Martin. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that you're wrong and, you know, potentially we, we, we could do that. It's, it's just not a decision that I would make. So I'll go back to you, Jade, and then Pross will get you jumping straight after. Final thoughts for Saturday night. Do you think we win? Do you think we lose? What sort of margin? Who's going to be the, the man that leads us to victory if, if that does occur? I, I really hate to do this because I know this is going to backfire on me, but I, I think we will win this game. Uh, I think that um, the, the style of game that we're playing at the moment does something that we haven't done for years. Uh, and what that is, is it, it actually puts us in good stead when playing against Richmond. I think that um, we, we currently have a better pressure game than Richmond does. We know that Richmond likes forcing their opponents to turn the ball over, uh, and I think that that's a game that we can beat them at. In terms of individual performances and who's going to win us this game, I know it's um, it, it's probably the simple thing to say, but Merritt and Parrish in the form they're in, they are, they are incredibly dangerous and they are capable of actually taking advantage of, of Richmond's midfield and and giving us first use of the ball there and, and, and helping us to to generate those inside 50s that we need. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to call it for a win. I'm not doing uh, doing it with any any real, I, I suppose, confidence that, that it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll come back next week and uh, and we'll figure out whether or not I was, uh, I was right or wrong on that one. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, I'm a little bit less optimistic. I'm pretty scarred at this point when it comes to Richmond matchups. I'm a little bit worried that the Richmond that we saw on the weekend with um, Bolton coming back in and Cochin and 
so on and so forth. I had a little bit of a, um, a feeling of the old machine just blowing out the cobwebs with a big statement game to come this week from them. If we are to win, look, there's a multitude of things that need to go right. Firstly, we need to have an effective forward line that doesn't get dominated in the air by the likes of Bolter and um, Grimes. We need to have a midfield that really has a fanatical defensive pressure about it because if we give too much ball on the outside to the likes of Martin and Bolton, we'll get torched. And then up forward, as we discussed um, on the weekend, uh, just from the weekend, Richmond had so many options to keep a winning score. So a lot needs to go right. And so I'm going to sit on the fence and say that the one person that we need to have a big game is the coach himself, Ben Rudd. I actually think that's a good shout because, I mean, we we know Dima will have tactics up his sleeve that, that Ben obviously hasn't seen because Ben hasn't been at Richmond for the last few years. But we are certainly trying, it feels from the outside, a Richmond game plan ourselves in, in the high-pressure style, especially with the way our defenders push forward. And we saw that on Saturday night, I think. And I honestly can't remember who was commentating the game now, but, but they highlighted uh, many times that we pushed our defenders high up and we needed a goalkeeper at the back, which, you know, we didn't because our, our defenders were able to intercept so well. So I think the, the call on, on truck is, is a very good one um, and it will be very interesting to see how he matches up against his old mentor. I don't think we're going to get the win, but then I didn't think we'd win against West Coast. So don't take that to the bank by any means. But of course, it is... Well, it was Sir Doug Nichols' round on the weekend. It's dream time this weekend. I'm not sure if it's Sir Doug Nichols' round over the two rounds. Somebody can jump in and correct me and and tell me if it is or isn't, if you know. I think Um, it is, but I'm not 100% sure. So what we will do now is we will focus on Indigenous players and they have been a a force in in the VFL-AFL for a very long time. Now... I'll just jump in and say straight up, my favourite player of all time is Michael Long. I I grew up with Michael Long electrifying fans in the early 90s. Now, I think we lost the best years of Michael Long. I don't think anybody would disagree. We lost the best years with Michael Long. His 1993 final series was just something that was unbelievable. The commentators at the time, they weren't talking about if he would win a Brownlow. They were talking about what the reception would be like when he won a Brownlow. And I think the, our, our younger fans may forget because they, they obviously saw him towards the end of his career when he was that, that forward, half-forward, sneaky half-forward line player, just how good Michael Long was on a wing and through the middle. He was absolutely phenomenal. And his 1993 grand final is still one of the best games I think I've ever seen anybody play. And I know it's a big call, but that goal running down the wing, which Silvani got, oh, I mean, Silvani got nowhere near it. He, he, Silvani was, was closer to the ground than he was to the ball. So... For me, Michael Long's been Essendon's best Indigenous player of all time. Um, I, I, I think if I was to sat look at the AFL as a whole, the best I've seen it from an Indigenous point of view is either uh, Peter Matera was, was very good, but, but Adam Goods, I thought Adam Goods was an absolute superstar and, and take away what happened to him at the end of his career and, and the booing and all that. Just forget all about that. As a pure player, Adam Goods had it all. This is a bloke that could play ruck, centre-half forward, centre-half back. He could play midfield. He was an out-and-out superstar, and he absolutely deserved both those Brownlows he won, and I think he probably should have got another one somewhere along the lines. Jade, I'll, I'll turn to you now. Indigenous players, who who do you think's probably been the best you've seen? I think uh, if you're an Essendon fan and you don't have Lance Franklin in the top handful of Indigenous players that you've ever seen, you are probably suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. The man is a beast. Uh, one, one of the look, he, he is. He's just he's one of the he's one of the best players of the last twenty years, comfortably. 
uh, and as uh, an Indigenous player, he, he's absolutely up there. So um, I, I'd certainly want to give him a shout-out, even though it, it pains me to do so. In terms of uh, Essendon players, look, you've nailed it completely. Uh, the only, I think the only challenger uh, to, to Michael Long, and I think that the second choice there would be fairly obvious in Gavin Wanganeen, uh, I think uh, you, you were 100% right in terms of we did lose probably the best years of Michael Long's career. I, I think his his standing as a cultural and societal figure has probably led some to forget or diminish how good a player he actually was. And, uh, you know, for me personally, you know, I'm of the vintage where I was growing up watching Michael Long play and, and being of Indigenous heritage myself, he was a, he was a hero. Um, you know, he was... A black man who was who was running around dominating, uh, you know, the sport that I'd grown up loving, and you know he was wearing a red sash doing it. My father was a black man that was often racially vilified because of the colour of his skin, and to see you know Michael Long standing up for something, and look, he's not alone here. He's de- he's definitely not the only Indigenous player, you know, to have made a stand in this regard, and certainly Nicky Wimmer deserves his absolute plaudits. Uh, for this as well. It's culturally iconic and it was certainly very special to me, but as a player, absolutely. Just a dominant beast. Could tear games apart. He's one of those players that could take a game away from you uh, in in, in five-minute bursts. He he would literally put the game away in that time. Absolutely love him. In terms of something else I'd like to mention in terms of Indigenous players, players that have been the most fun to watch, which is not necessarily the best. For me, there are two that stand out at Essendon that I just absolutely enjoyed watching play. And that was Andrew Lovett. Loved it. Uh, you know, he, he's never going to be accused of being the best Indigenous player that we've ever had. But that that turn of speed, that burst coming out of the middle was just fun to watch. And anytime he was near the ball, you know, y- your eyes were glued to the screen or the ground if you were watching at the ground. Absolutely fantastic. And the second one, possibly a little controversial considering the exit, is probably Paddy Ryder. Um, who I think that uh, when he was given the opportunity to ruck in isolation, proved that he could be an absolute superstar. So really liked watching him play, still like watching him play now. So, yeah, love the Indigenous heritage that our club has. Uh, I think it's something to be very, very proud of. I'm really happy about the fact that, um, you know, when we've chosen to put a statue out the front of the uh, of the hangar, we've gone with Michael Long first. I, I think it really speaks to what we are as a club and what our relationship has been, and obviously we need to need to give Kevin Sheedy a shout out at this point and just in terms of his tremendous influence in this regard. So for me, it, it's very much an important round in terms of saying who we are as a football club. I think we've absolutely earned the right to uh, to compete in the, in the dream time in the West as it is this year. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the game this weekend. I really like what you touched on there about players that were fun to watch. And I'm going to throw another name out there before we before we, we come to you, Pross, and, and that's Derek Kickett. Like, any, anybody who never saw Derek Kickett play, I urge you, and I mean, I'll be honest, I don't remember him so much as a player. I have watched his highlights on YouTube. He was a phenomenal footballer. He was absolutely unbelievable. And, and whilst I understand the circumstances and while I understand that he also played his part in not being told directly by Sheedy, I still don't think I'll ever really support the fact that he did not play the 1993 Grand Final. I think that's probably, and I, I, look, and I think Sheeds, in his heart of hearts, would agree that's that's probably one of his few regrets he has as a coach, the way that happened. And I certainly think that if Derek Kickett had been there at Essendon in 1996 instead of the Sydney Swans, I think we very well would have seen a different result. Um, I also think if Gavin Manganese had never left, we would have certainly seen a different result in 1999 and 2001. But 
you're absolutely right about Paddy Ryder. I loved watching Paddy play, and it was heartbreaking when he left. Um, he is still a delight to watch. But, yeah, as I said, in terms of fun, I think Derek Kickett definitely deserves a shout-out. But, Pross, I'll, I'll swing to you. Best Indigenous player you've seen at Essendon in the, in league-wide and obviously, as, as Jay's introduced, the, the one that you've enjoyed the most watching? Yeah. Um, look, I've got a different perspective, I guess, than the two of you, just purely for the fact that whilst um, I was a little bit late behind the um, Long and Wanganin era, so I'm 28 now. So basically, I was born in '93. So unfortunately, I didn't get the um, the true pleasure of watching their careers in their prime. So I guess when it comes to modern day players, there's a few candidates really. I mean, Paddy Ryder would have to be the obvious one of modern times for us. But God, we've had some fun players over the years, and I was just reminiscing about the um, that sort of 2005 through to 2008 sort of period where you had Lovett coming in on Anzac Day and just, I think he might have even won the medal on that day. You had Alwyn Davey burst onto the scene at the start of 2017. Leroy Jetta came onto the scene. You had Paddy Ryder, obviously, in his infancy. It was a really exciting time. And I guess uh, I wanted to touch on Alwyn, actually, because I'll tell you what, we might have some more fun times to come as well. Um, oh, I don't know oh, oh yes! Don't know if you've seen the um, highlights from, uh, I think it was a fortnight ago now, just before the bye, but uh, Jaden Davey coming back for his first game, coming off an ACL, just kicked one of the best uh, underage goals that you'll see. In one of four, actually, that he kicked on that day, and um, Alwyn Jr. kicked two as well. So that's going to be something to look forward for the next 10 to 12 years when we pick both of them up as father-sons at the end of next year. League-wide, though, it's hard to go past Lance Franklin in the modern era. I mean, he is a marvel. He's terrorised us. He's brutalised us. But goddamn, I've got to respect that bloke and everything that he's done. You talk about players that just drive you through the turnstiles, and I mean, he's Exhibit A. Um, I, I would pay to watch him play against anyone, um, and I hope that he does get to play on for another year or two, and he actually does get to play full seasons because when he's up and running in full flight, he's something that you tell your kids about. I refuse to acknowledge Lance Franklin purely because of poor old Kale Hooker coming off his hamstring in the first game back. He had to chase chase him down the wing not once but twice, which was completely and utterly unfair to poor old Kale. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned the Davy twins because for anyone listening, we are actually going to do, because we do have the bye, obviously, after the Richmond game, we are going to do a bit of a switch up next week and have uh, EDPS on to talk to us about the mid-season draft and also some of the under-18 players that are starring this year, and I'm definitely keen to, to get his thoughts on, on the, the Davy Twins. But we are coming to my favourite part of the show and the part that I think you both are looking forward to the least, and that is, of course, Bonser's Quiz. Now, we have had an episode before where you two competed. Pross did manage to get up on that day, but that episode will never see the light of day. So officially, Jade, your record is 0-0. Zero and zero. Pross, you are 0-1 and one because the Grizz beat you last week. Undefeated, of course. <laughs> Undefeated, now, but definitely disputed. It is, yes, well, you can dispute it all you want, but take that up with Beerfish. So as always, your names are your buzzers. I'm not going to get you to test them this week because you both know what your names are. And because it is, of course, Sir Doug Nichols round, there is a little bit of an Indigenous theme. When I say little bit, I mean every single question is Indigenous-based for the Eston Football Club. <laughs> and as a result, they aren't the hardest questions in the world, so get in quickly. Question number one. Who is our only Indigenous Brownlow medalist? Jade. Oh, Jade. 
yeah, Jade, Jade, I'm going to give it to Jade, and that is a point to, to Jade. Question number two. Who is Essendon's only Indigenous Michael Tuck medalist? Jade. Yes. I'm going to go with Michael Long. Incorrect. Right era, but incorrect. Pross, I'll throw to you. Uh, Dean Rioli. Incorrect. So I'll let you both jump in when you have a bit of a think. As I said, that was a clue. It was the Michael Long era. Uh, Pross? Yep. Uh, Stabbing a duck here, but Shay Cocker 2 Collins? No, it's not Shay Cocker 2. So, Jade, I'll jump to you, and if you don't get it, I'll tell you the answer. All right, I'm going to go with Derek Kickett. No, it's Gavin Wanganeen. I've gone Gavin. Oh, there you go. I thought that was too obvious. The 1993 Foster's Cup when we beat Richmond. Uh, it was, of course, Gavin Wanganeen. All righty. Now, this one's a little bit trickier. It is 1-0 at the moment, but I, I, I actually think this is Jade's going to get this. So, Pross, I think you, you might be out of luck, but we'll see how we go. Michael Long was the second Indigenous player to play for the Eston Football Club. Who was the first? And I'll give you a hint, he was in the 40s and 50s, so it was a long time ago. Got me out, man. Yeah, I've got no idea. I, I, I feel ashamed, but no idea. It was Norm McDonald who played 128 games for us, and I think he oh, he would have absolutely had to have played in a few flags from 47 to 53. All right. Yeah, so it's it's always... a shame that the club doesn't promote him a bit more. Well, I feel like they do. I feel I feel like I've heard his name mentioned quite a bit when it comes to our Indigenous heritage, but maybe that's just because I'm reading his name at the moment. So, as always, my questions are proving far too difficult, but we are still 1-0 to Jade. This one is a little bit easier. One of them you'll both get quite comfortably. Two Indigenous players for the Eston Football Club have played 100 games exactly. Can you Pross. name Jade. Uh, Pross got him first. Or well, Alwyn Davey. Yes. And Dean Rioli. And Dean Rioli is the other one. Son of a... <laughs> I actually thought Dean Rioli was the easy one there, but then I, I actually forgot and I sort of realised when you started talking about the Davy Twins Pross that you were probably across <laughs> Alwyn playing the 100 exactly. Okay, so this is another fairly easy one, so get ready quickly. Who is our only Indigenous Norm Smith medalist? Jay. Jay got in. Michael Long. Michael Long is indeed the answer. So that is... 2-1, and I believe that is five questions because you missed two. So, Pross, your record goes to 0-2. Jay, you're 1-0. And, and still. Pross, how do you feel? <laughs> well, I feel devastated, and I really want to do an investigation into the um, cellular reception here because I'm telling you, I'm answering, I'm saying Pross about one or two seconds before Jay does, and I'm obviously, there's a little bit of latency in the line here, but I, I honestly feel I'm undefeated, undisputed still in my mind. So you, st- you sound like a Carlton fan. You sound like a Carlton fan making excuses for the fact that Adam Saad conceded four goals to his direct opponent this week. Yeah, well, maybe it should have been five. I'll tell you what, just on Adam Saad, the footage of him running back to the goal scorers, his opponent kicked the ball over his head, was was very damning. And David King was extremely scathing of him at Fox footy. So if any Essendon fan out there hasn't watched that, by all means, go right ahead, because I think you'll you'll get a certain distinct pleasure out of it. Although, having said that, I'm not in the in the camp that thinks we should uh, be booing Adam Saad at every chance we get. All right, so thank you once again this evening for joining me, gentlemen. Uh, Jade, I thank you, but you're going to thank yourself, so I won't bother. No, no, not at all. Look, when you when you're in the presence of greatness like this, undefeated in the quiz, it's um, look, it's hard not to thank myself for being here, and uh, you are welcome. 
And Pros, thank you for stepping into Doss's shoes. You more than filled them this evening. Mate, anytime I can step into Doss's shoes, it's a good day. So thank you for having me. And as I did mention earlier, next week we are, of course, going to have EDPS on to talk about uh, the recruits that we're hoping to see at the end of the year and also gives a bit of a, a, a uh, wrap-up of the mid-season draft, which I believe is actually happening early the later this week, perhaps, or maybe he will be giving us a preview of the mid-season draft, depending on whenever it is. But I will be joined next week by him and the Grizz. So thank you once again to everybody for listening. 